Well, good morning, everyone. It is a pleasure to be with you. My, uh, as John had prayed, uh, any kind of stress when you have Parkinson's just kind of makes everything go fuzzy. So we'll just trust the Holy Spirit this morning. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, it was Spurgeon who was a, uh, a preacher, I don't know how many hundreds of years ago, but he made this statement. He said, a sermon isn't worth preaching until it's been preached 50 times. Now, I don't know how a pastor can do that in a local church. Perhaps an evangelist can. I did some traveling for the camp, and I was able to do some of that. However, uh, it was my, my privilege to preach 17 times from this particular passage of Scripture in different churches. Seven of those were the Sunday before the new pastor arrived, including today. Okay. And... Um, uh, but before we start, last time we went to the lettuce patch. We also knew who made the coffee if you were here at the lettuce patch. And the lettuce patch was, uh, was this from uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance of faith that faith brings. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might spur one another on to, toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some of the habit are doing, but encourage one another uh, all the more as we see the day approaching. That was the outline from the last time I spoke to you. And uh, we kind of, uh, what we're going to do today sort of builds a little bit on that. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, if you want to turn to that in your Bible. But before we start, uh, before we start, in chapter 13, we have some like bullet points where the writer was not, he was wrapping up his letter and he said he just wanted to hit some different points and they are like this. Verse 1, we are to love the brothers. We're, the first one, we're to treat strangers as brothers. Uh, verse Verses 3, care for the unlovable, be pure in marriage, and be free from sexual impurity of any kind. Be content with what you have. Don't love money, but be content with what God, circumstances God will, has to put you in, and he will care for you. And believe me, I understand that these days. God has been very good, very good. Thank God for a daughter like Renee. <laughs> Amen. Anyhow, one thing that uh, we encounter in chapter 13 is the idea of authority. The idea of authority. Now, in particular, spiritual authority. Among the numerous things uh, that we must wrestle with as Christians is the proper response to authority. And that is a big problem for a lot in our day, day and age. I remember a pastor in a town where I was pastoring years ago. On his bumper sticker, it says, question authority. Question authority. Well, maybe some authority needs to be questioned, but basically that's not you know, a good platform to stand on. Anyhow, uh, most of us have little trouble with God's leadership. If, uh, if we are truly committed to Christ, most of us will respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
By way of illustration on that, I've shared this in different groups, but uh, four and a half years ago, I was sitting back here uh, by the uh, sound booth, and uh, God seemed to whisper to me and says, you need to be preaching. Well, we had just hired Dallas as an associate, so any once in a while things had even dried up here. I said, well, God, if, if that's what you have for me, then you got to open the door. Well, six months later, I was uh, up at Wakefield for Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday became all summer. All summer became three and a half years. But the fact was, the Holy Spirit had spoken six months ahead of time to prepare my heart for it. And that's an illustration of what we're talking about here. When it comes to human leadership, there is no airtight guarantee. In our humanness, we can have bad judgment or we can have misdirected, which could be bad, uh, bad advice. And occasionally there are deceivers and that's bad news. That's bad news. Before we look uh, at the scripture this morning, I want us to look at what constitutes wrong leadership. Uh, Self-serving leaders are not unique to the political arena. The church has had its water gates. Some of you won't remember some of these things. You're not young enough, but most of us will. James or Johnstown was a typical example uh, of this. Waco, Texas is another. Uh, these men started out as evangelical pastors and look where it wound up in disaster. Uh, also, uh, even more recently, we've seen the demise of the next level church. I don't know all the particulars on that, but we need to pray for those people. There's probably a lot of people who are disillusioned with the church right now, and we need to pray for them you know, and have opportunity to maybe encourage them if you come across it. Uh, in these cases, there was too much power, not enough um, accountability, and improper loyalty. Jesus had something to say about these in Matthew 15. I'm sorry I didn't get this up on the screen for you, this is the scripture. However, Mark, Matthew 15, uh, the Pharisees approached Jesus and said, Why did your disciples eat with, without washing their hands? Jesus' retort was, You keep the outward uh, exterior, but your heart is wicked. You keep your uh, traditions, but uh, you, you feed your sensual desires. He says to that crowd in verse 14, leave them, they are blind guides, they will lead you to the pit. You need to be careful of that, what we listen to and who we align ourselves with. Those are strong words. But that poses a question, how do we spot false leadership? Matthew 15 points out three things uh, that uh, we need to be aware of. Human opinion is held above the word of God. That's number one. Number two, uh, heresy prevails over authenticity. Number three, uh, self-improved rigidity takes the place of God-anointed leadership by the Holy Spirit. Notice I say God-anointed leadership. That is so critical here. Uh, to many in spiritual authority who do not honor the word of God, uh, live lives of hypocrisy, have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. What are we to do? Jesus says, leave them alone. Get as far away from them as you can. All right. Uh, if we don't, in time, we will be blindly following blind guides. Now, we come to our scripture this morning. 
two verses. We're going to read the first one, which is uh, Hebrews 13, 7. Um, Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way, of their life, and imitate their faith. Remember those who, you know, have gone before us in this. Uh, these, these verses, uh, are, there are two points this morning. The model of yesteryear, which is the verse we just read, and later we will be looking at verse 17 as well. The King James seems to indicate present leadership here in this verse. However, the newer translations refer to past uh, leadership, and as does the Greek. The verse says, consider the outcome of their ways. Consider is equal to look upon and investigate or observe accurately their lives. In other words, pay attention to how they live. Uh, this is true of the ancients as well as, as even more modern. I, uh, I always use an illustration or two, and for some reason this time, I thought of my mother. My mother was a preacher's wife, Nazarene preacher's wife. It was quite often I would see her sitting in the living room in the morning with a cup of coffee and her Bible. Well worn. I think there's a saying that goes like this. It says, those who have a Bible that is well-worn or it is uh, roughed up, they, they, their lives will not be. Okay, I didn't say that exactly right, but you get the idea. All right. I, this has gotten beat up more just carrying it around the country than when she had it. But I keep it in my library as a reminder of my mother's commitment to Christ and the fact that the example she was to me. Amen. I imagine if we took a microphone and went around the room here like John did a while back, you know, people could uh, testify to people who have been significant in leading you to Christ or leading you as you've walked with Christ. Some others that I have written down, Neil McLean. Some of you will remember Neil. He was our DS, a few DSs back. And he's the one, uh, he's the one that hired me to go to the camp. And he was a tremendous support to me. He was more like a father than a boss. I did work directly for him at that time. Later on, Larry Ogden. Some of you know Larry. Larry uh, came on as the administrative assistant to the DS when Ken Mills was DS. And Larry was, uh, was very involved with the leadership in, in terms of our board leadership at the camp. And I could always go to him, you know, and get advice. And I think John would amen that one. You know, John... Uh, then uh, just one more, Herb White. Herb White is John's uncle and Vi's brother-in-law. Got that right, didn't I? Herb was a proponent of the camp and actually he moved up there to be near it at the time. And he and I had precious time together and I, he's up in his 90s now. And uh, I talked to him a while back on the phone and we actually had lunch at one point. And I remembered the real blessing he was to me during those days because they weren't necessarily easy days, but he certainly was, was a help to me. Anyway, um, this is also of the ancients as well as those who were close, close by. Um, it says here, a closer look at their lives involved in, in, in includes the following, or reveals the following. 
they led properly. They spoke the word of God. Their lives had the right outcome. That's the formula for knowing who to follow. They were individuals of faith, great faith. If we properly observe people, then we will be, uh, we will be impacted by, they will have an impact on our lives. We are to remember them, not only that, we are to imitate them, it says in that passage. Uh, it's much easier for me to take a faith after I have studied the life of some people. That increases my faith. My favorite book in, in the Old Testament is Nehemiah. I like Nehemiah. He's my kind of man. And uh, seeing how God used him, it just spurred me on in the things that God was asking me to do. So remember and imitate those people who have been significant in your life. Now, to this point, it's been relatively easy for me to preach. However, when we come to verse 17, it's a little different. It's a little closer to home. So verse 17 says this, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would not be profit benefit to you. Let me repeat that sentence. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. The reason this is difficult is that this verse suggests awesome responsibility and totally awesome accountability. And in all of that, in light of, in light of one's you know, limited ability. Okay, it's, uh, it's more difficult to do verse 17 than it is to do verse 7. Why? Because we can see the flaws in people while they are alive. Only through the passage of time do we forget weakness. The writer says we are to recognize God-appointed leaders. Note that, underscore, in brackets. God appointed, got it? Okay, God appointed leaders. In spite of their flaws, we are to recognize their authority even if we disagree. Does it surprise you that I have not always agreed with my pastor or my district superintendent? I'm gonna share something with you which is a little bit off the wall for what would be expected of you, but it makes a point here. Um, Bob and I was in Bible college. My senior year, I pastored a church in Denver. And uh, it was a church that had just been blown apart by some issues. And I went in to try to help, and we, we did make some progress. But it became very clear that the, the church board and I were on different pages. And I thought, well, gee, this isn't nice. You know, you're there about a year, and you're gone. And uh, But yet, I felt very definitely that... Uh, it was time to move on. Uh, I, at that point, Pat and I felt like we should come back east. And so I called every DS on the east coast from uh, Virginia up to Maine, and including Philadelphia and, uh, and upstate New York. Out of that came a, 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 a sort of a relationship with the DS up in uh, upstate New York. 
he was planting some churches and he had a group that he was very interested in and um, he asked me if I was interested and I said well let's pray about it we'll talk in a few days so he said in the meantime send me a resume and a picture well I sent him a picture I had a beard like our gentleman right down here our bass player it was about that consistency and now it doesn't show quite so much neither does John's Okay, but he's, he got back to me, he says, I would like another picture that has what you will look like when you arrive. I said, okay. Uh, hmm, what do we do with this? So anyhow, I, we, you know, I, I, I had a couple of pastors in, in Denver, there were, I think there were eight Church of the Nazarenes in the Denver greater area. And I talked to a couple of them, and I said, what do I do with this? And a couple of them said, look, if that's the way he is, just get over it and move on, go somewhere else. But I couldn't shake the fact that God was leading me back to upstate New York. So I decided to shave. Renee was 14. She wouldn't come near me. She says, you're not my daddy. She had a nervous breakdown over this thing. The two younger ones were kind of, What's this all about? Pat was not particularly happy, and I wasn't really all that happy about it. But I felt that it's what God wanted me to do. And if I were to come under his God-appointed leadership, meaning the DS, then I, this was a rather small matter, although it was a traumatic matter, it was a rather small thing that I had to do. Well, we went ahead and did that, and we had six glorious years in Springwater, New York. John was in Watertown at that time, and uh, I was in Springwater planting a church. Was it easy? No. Was it fun? Yes. Was it blessed? Absolutely. I mean, it was unbelievable what God was doing. We started out with 25 of them over my family. Six months later, we were running 50. And when I left after six years, we were running about 140, and on a good Sunday, 150. Praise the Lord. And that's in a town, a village of 500 people. So, one thing God pointed out to me uh, after we left Denver our part, and accepted the call was that had I just said, well, he's not going to tell me what to do with this, I would have missed the blessing of that six years. Now, I don't think, uh, I don't think a pastor is going to ask you to shave. But he may ask you to do something that's outside your comfort zone. And you need to be available if God is leading you that way. Does that make any sense? Huh? Okay. Anyhow. Uh, we, must, uh, we must listen to them because they are, again, once again, God-appointed leaders. A true minister of the gospel called of God it is not a professional choice. Do you understand that? It's not a, well, I think I'll be a preacher. Well, some of you have tried that and it didn't work too well. But it must be the call of God upon your life. And uh, uh, because of that, certain things are true. And verse 17 says, they keep watch over you. Awesome responsibility. The true shepherd cannot be oblivious uh, to the sheep. On the other hand, well, you can't be like a traffic cop and because you, you're, you know, messed up, you know, 
repent. Well, sometimes that's necessary. But the true shepherd has your spiritual well-being in mind always. We want you to succeed at this because uh, we want to succeed, pardon me, uh, of this about being a Christian. We want you to be ready for life and yes, death eventually. Someday, well, the pastor must also give an account, awesome accountability. Someday I must stand before God and give assent to, or give assent to my ministry. How well did I prepare people for life and death? Uh, How well did I prepare, or how well did I preach the word, and how... Any pastor worthy of the title will have your best interest in mind and will be a preacher of the word. Um, your part in all this, and it's in the end of that verse, is your part is to allow us to be free of grief. Free of grief. Now, you may disagree with us, but we need to be free of grief. Uh, I won't tell you what town it was in, but it was one of my pastorates. We were working on something, and my head of my trustees came up to me and said, You know, Pastor, my job is to protect the church from the pastor. I said, well, Run that by me again? I think I knew what he meant, but it, it certainly didn't come out right. You know, but the fact is, there are people who think they make it their job to make it a, make it a hard time for the preacher. Okay, um, anyhow. Uh, didn't last long in that assignment either, by the way. Uh, also, along this line of people getting on board and, and uh, trusting God and trusting the leadership, uh, the church I pastored while I was in college was in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. And uh, I, I think there were eight Nazarene churches. I know there was one five miles in any direction from me, and one of them was... Uh, Denver First Church, which ran about 2,000 on a Sunday morning. But one of the close ones to me was um, Lakewood. Lakewood, uh, first of all, I had notated that in the previous 14 years, my church had had six pastors. I mean, something wrong there, you know, when somebody is only there two years, two and a half years, whatever. Anyhow, at the same time, Lakewood had two pastors in that 14 years. What's that tell you? All right. That your pastor was able to function and, and God was blessing the ministry. And so uh, that, is, uh, that is critical to, to uh, our operation. Uh, in conclusion, here's some lasting principles. When relating to the leadership, what will we do? It is unbiblical to support uh, wrong leadership. It is foolish to have no leadership. It is unprofitable to resist proper leadership. You got a hold of that? All right. Now, we have uh, gone through the process. 
Our new man shows up next Sunday. Praise God. All right. Some of you think he's young, and he is. He's 35. He's 15 years younger than my youngest child. <laughs> that puts it in perspective for me. Okay. Uh, John and I both, I think I got you quoted right on this, John. John and I both had uh, a very productive ministry uh, during at that age group. Was that true, John, in your early to mid-30s? Okay. That was true of me also. Uh, Fred said he was a little later, and maybe he was a late bloomer, but he said in his late 30s and 40s were his productive years in ministry. So, um, anyhow, the DS is on board, we, and the, the church or the board has done due diligence much prayer has gone up. The vote was unanimous. And it's, it's clear that Pastor Eddie is God's choice. It's God's choice. If we might put it in terms from the scripture, God's anointed. Now, he might ask us to do some things that are outside of our comfort zone. But if we will trust the Lord and support him, this place can come on fire. Amen? Amen? We used to run 200 here or thereabouts. We're down because of COVID amongst other things. But I believe God has great days ahead for this congregation if we will listen to this scripture. Amen?